Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. This evening we'll be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 11, beginning with verse 8 and going to the end of the chapter. Please give your attention now to the reading of God's holy word. Therefore you shall keep every commandment which I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and possess the land which you cross over to possess, and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord swore to give your fathers, to them and their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and watered it by, by foot as a, veg- as a vegetable garden. But the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. And it shall be, that if you earnestly obey my commandments which I command you today to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain, your new wine and your oil. And I will send grass in your fields for your livestock that you may eat and be filled. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you, and he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain, and the land yield no produce, and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. Therefore, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, like the days of the heavens above the earth. For if you carefully keep all these commandments which I command you to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to hold fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations from before you, and you will dispossess greater and mightier nations than yourselves. Every place in which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours, from the wilderness in Lebanon, from the river, the river Euphrates, even to the western sea, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will put the dread of you and the fear of you upon all the land where you tread, just as he has said to you. But behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today. And the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I command you today to go after other gods which you have not known. Now it shall be when the Lord your God has brought you into the land which you go to possess, that you shall put the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. Are they not on the other side of the Jordan toward the setting sun in the land of the Canaanites who dwell on the plain opposite Gilgal beside the terebinth trees of Moreh? For you will cross over the Jordan and go in to, to, to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you. 
and you will possess it and dwell in it. And you shall be careful to observe all the statutes and judgments which I set before you today. Thus far the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's go before the Lord once again in prayer. O oh, Father, how we do plead with you that even as life and death are set before us through the preaching of your word, the blessing and the curse, Lord, how we do pray that you would grant your people the, the grace to choose the blessing, to choose life, that we would find life in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that we would safely make it to the other side across that Jordan, even as we so sung, that we would be landed safely on Canaan's side, and so, Lord, live with you forever in the new heavens and the new earth. Lord, humble us as we sit under your word. Be with me as I preach and those who hear as they hear, that the word preached might be used by you to sanctify your people, and that we would have our eyes lifted up to heaven. For we do ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, I mentioned in the very first sermon I preached on Deuteronomy that the structure of Deuteronomy is that of a covenant. The, the entire thing is a covenant document, and it's uh, structured like that, patterned off of the way covenants were structured uh, in the second millennium B.C. And the point then is it is given to establish the relationship that God has with his people. God relates to his people via covenant, and all of Deuteronomy then is basically the covenant document that defines the relationship. Now, if you remember this morning when, when we were looking at uh, divorce and remarriage, I had pointed out there that throughout the scriptures, the idea of a covenant relationship, but the particular intimate covenant relationship that we see in marriage was always to be a reflection of God's relationship with his people. And just as marriage is a weighty thing, so too the relationship, and even far more so, the relationship that God has with his people is also a weighty thing. When a relationship is built on the kind of covenant that God makes with his people, it becomes infused with, with uh, a great importance, and it cannot be lightly set aside. Now, one of the, the hints that we have that the book of Deuteronomy is given as a covenant document is even this very passage. Uh, the idea of uh, blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience, that's always to be a part of uh, the the covenant documents, the covenant relationships that are established in the scriptures. There is a new relationship that's being established, and in that relationship there is going to be great blessings. And yet, there are also then great penalties for breaking and transgressing that relationship. And so think of, again, remember where we are in the book of Deuteronomy. Remember where Deuteronomy as a book stands in the, in the great story of the Bible? The people of God are on the edge of the promised land. They are now hearing the last words of Moses as he speaks these covenant words that are going to establish the relationship between God and his people. As they cross over the Jordan into the land, they are going into the land of blessing where they will receive uh, all of the blessings that Moses here is speaking of, the blessings for obedience, the, the blessings of the relationship where God is the God of his people and where his people uh, are the people of God himself. And so in a very real sense, the people of God here are sort of like, are sort of like uh, two people at the altar about to be married. 
They are receiving now the, the covenant words as they contemplate life moving forward. And this is exactly now what Moses is speaking of, that these covenant realities are being put before the people and he sets before them life and death. Life, the blessing of life as they relate to God and yet death if they turn away from God. And brothers and sisters, this idea, these covenant realities based on the relationship that God bears with his people, this is really something that is put before all of you this evening as well through the preaching of the word and really all the time that the word of God is preached every Lord's Day, every time what is being set before you is life and death, a blessing and a curse. And this is what Moses does. Now, this passage is really climactic in a number of ways. Remember, the way that the book of Deuteronomy is structured, chapters 1 through 4, is the historical review that basically lets everyone know where we've come to, what God has done for his people up to this point. And then in chapters 5 through 11, Moses uh, gives an overview, particularly in chapter 5, of what the, the general requirements are for the law. He recites the Ten Commandments for us. In chapter 6, at the beginning, he gives the one great principle that really is the the principle that undergirds and is the foundation of all the laws that are going to come. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And then he has now spent six chapters just detailing for us, explaining for us what it looks like to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And this passage right here is the climax of this. This is the great conclusion. He's begun the conclusion. We've been looking at that ever since chapter 10, verse 12. But now we have finally the very end. These are the last things that Moses is going to say for us about the first commandment before then in chapter 12, moving on to deal with the second commandment. Now, one of the things that I uh, learned in seminary that I was told to do is that at the end of a sermon, there needs to be something set aside, some kind of review uh, for what's been said, and then some kind of concluding exhortation. And this is really exactly what Moses is doing here. There are a number of things that we'll touch on a bit more lightly because there are things that Moses uh, has spoken before. And so Moses, in, in, in a real sense, at the very end of this passage, he's giving a review for all the things that have come before. And then he's also giving the concluding application, the concluding exhortation to his people uh, on the basis of uh, what it looks like to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. He is detailing for that us for uh, he's detailing that for us one more time and exhorting his people to that. So we're going to look at this passage under three headings. We're going to consider the the covenant blessings and curses for obedience and disobedience, the blessings for obedience and the curses for disobedience. Then we're going to look at the exhortation to obedience. So there's the blessings, there's the curses. And then we're going to look at what, in fact, Moses is requiring, what, what kind of obedience is being required here. And then finally, we'll look at the exhortations to obedience in the context of the family. So there's blessings for obedience, there's curses for disobedience. There is what the obedience looks like in general, and then what it looks like for the family. Now, as we consider then the blessings and the curses, I had mentioned to you that it is a, a very normal thing. It's very regular that in covenant documents, there are some sort of stipulations or some sort of uh, blessings that come for obedience, and there are there are curses for disobedience. We see this all the way back uh, in the Garden of Eden, where God puts before Adam and Eve two trees, one of them which is a representation of the blessings that will come for obedience, the tree of life, and then the other is the test by which if they disobey, they will receive the threat, the, the curses for disobedience, which is 
death itself. And this was the threat on the day that, that God gives. On the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. And we see this again all the way throughout the scriptures, particularly uh, Leviticus chapter 26 is another chapter that details for us the, the, the covenant uh, blessings and curses. So there is uh, Leviticus 26 is really the climax of the book of, uh, of Leviticus, the, the second to last chapter, but the climax of the book itself. And Moses gives us a long list of blessings for obedience and then curses for disobedience. We see the same thing at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, particularly in chapters 27 and 28 where there is a very long uh, section of blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. Now, if that is the case, that it's very normal in the covenant context to give blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience, why is it that Moses gives blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience here in chapter 11 when he's going to do it again in chapters 27 and 28? What's the, what's the purpose of Moses doing it here? Now, the answer to that question tells us something about the importance of this very passage and the importance of this entire section that we've been looking at now uh, for some number of weeks. Basically, what's going on here is Moses is giving almost a, a mini application. This is like a, a small climax. This is the climax of a, a one section of the book of Deuteronomy to show that really in some ways, even though he's going to speak of, of many other commands, which we're going to start looking at next week, He's going to start talking about commands and they're going to become more and more minute in their detail all the way throughout the book. Even though that's the case, and even though there is a general obligation on the people of God to obey all of God's commands, and in some sense then, when we look at Deuteronomy chapters 27 and 28, uh, with the blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience, it's applied to all of the commandments of God. In many ways, the ability to keep all the commandments of God are rooted in whether or not one keeps the very first commandment. And so in some sense, it's very fitting that Moses, as he's finishing up speaking of and expounding just the first commandment and just the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, it's fitting that he would conclude that section by setting before the people blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience because ultimately, ultimately, the blessings for obedience and the curses for disobedience Will be, will be had on the basis of how you keep this one great commandment, whether or not you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. That is the root and the foundation for everything else. All covenant obligations, all obedience to every commandment is based upon this one thing, that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And so if you keep this commandment and you have a right to the blessings, as Moses details it out in Deuteronomy chapter 11, in some ways, you can be assured that you also have the blessings based on what Moses is going to say in chapters 27 and 28. Because really, all that he's going to say from chapters 12 to 26 is just an outworking of what it looks like in a lot of different practical situations, what it looks like to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And so he puts before the people of God this blessing and this curse. He says, when you go into the land, there's going to be two mountains and you're going to put some of the people on one of those mountains on Mount Gerizim. And that's where the blessings are going to be. Then you're going to put some of the people on the other mountain on Mount Ebal. That's where the curse is going to be. And you're going to uh, perform this covenant ceremony by which you bind yourself to the Lord. As you come in, you're going to recognize all the blessings that he has given to you. And you are going to, to affirm that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength as you are in the land. 
that your days may be prolonged in the land. This is what they were to do. And this is even fulfilled when the people of God come into the land in Joshua chapter 8, verse 33. They do this very thing. They come into the land. They've defeated Jericho. They defeated Ai. They have access now to these mountains because God has begun to deliver into their hand all the nations that are greater and mightier than they are, as Moses says. And so when that happens, then they take some of the people, they put them on Gerizim, some of them on Mount Ebal, and so uh, they uh, ratify the covenant as Moses had commanded. And by that, they bind themselves to the Lord. Now, that's the idea. That's It's related to covenant, blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. Now, if we look a little bit more closely at what the blessings are, you'll notice, and we won't spend too much time on this, Moses has spoken of, of these kinds of things in a number of different ways in other passages um, from chapters uh, 5 to 11. But you'll notice, particularly in verses 10 to 12, Moses gives us a part of what the blessings are by comparing the land that they are going into to the land of Egypt. And so on the one hand, in the land of Egypt, the people of God, it, it says, and not just the people of God, but even everybody, if you're in the land of Egypt, uh, it was barren in a lot of ways. You had to plant the seed and you had to, to look for the growth as it comes. And uh, the land wasn't going to produce anything by itself. But Moses says... The land of Canaan is far different. The land of Canaan will produce things of itself. It, it will be like an undoing of the curse that was given in uh, Genesis chapter 3, where the land will no longer yield forth its strength, where there will be thorns and thistles that grow up. It is going to be different in the promised land. There is going to be blessings that the land will produce of itself. And this is because, as Moses says, this is the land that God himself looks after. This is the land that God himself has blessed. And then Moses goes on then to further describe these, these blessings in verses 13 and 15. He says that and this is uh, part this this part becomes contingent upon their obedience in the land. If you obey the Lord your God, if you love him with all your heart, soul, and strength, then the land will yield its increase for you. It will basically be life producing. Whereas the land, because of the curse, would, would produce death. So now through the blessing of God and because they were to receive from him this land where God himself would dwell, it will be life producing. He will give the rain for grain, wine, and oil. There'll be grass for the livestock and you will be full. We see as well the blessing further detailed in verse 24 where there will be enormous boundaries to the land that it will go even all the way to the river Euphrates, which if you remember is far to the northeast of Israel, but they will have their eastern border be there. Their western border will be the Mediterranean Sea, and God will richly possess them, and he'll dispossess all of the other nations. Now, this is this is the blessings as they are recorded for us in the book of Deuteronomy and in this very passage itself. But brothers and sisters, remember, when Moses describes the land of Canaan, it is always, it is always meant to teach us what is going to come for the people of God who received the blessings on the last day? That's always to be what, uh, what it was meant to, to portray. Uh, the whole goal of the Exodus was to be brought into the land where God would dwell with his people forever. That they would have fellowship with him on his mountain. This is a, what they were expecting. At some point there will be some reversal of the curse where death will be no more and we will always be with God. And so think of this brothers and sisters right now. You live in a world and on land that is cursed, where there is thorns and thistles that are that uh, grow up, where you toil all the days of your life. Very often life is very difficult. 
By the sweat of your brow you eat until you return to the dust. That's the context in which you live. But brothers and sisters, just as Moses set before the people of God a great blessing in a better land, so too, so too, brothers and sisters, I set before you the blessings of a better land, of a land which is promised where there are no more tears or sorrows, where there is no more, where there are no more thorns and thistles that grow up, a land that of itself produces things for life, and that is even symbolized even further by the fact that in this land where God oversees it, there is in fact the tree of life which yields its fruit in its season, and all of the nations are nourished by it, a land where God himself lives with his people, a God where there is a land where there is no more need for sun or moon or any lights of, or any such thing, because God himself is the light of this land. This is the thing which is coming for you. This is the blessing that is yours for obedience. This is, this is the blessing which is always set before you through the preaching of the gospel. The blessings of being with God forever in the land that he himself looks after. Where there is a city that God himself has built. A city with foundations whose maker and builder is God. And so Moses sets before the people these blessings. These blessings, if you obey. Notice as well, though, that there are curses. There are curses. And these particularly come in verses 13 to 15, uh, if you do not obey. Or maybe more particularly, uh, in more particularly verses 16 and 17, excuse me. In verses 16 and 17, there are the curses that will come upon the land. In verses 13 to 15, if the people of God obey, then there will be uh, blessings that will come uh, upon the land. In verses 16 and 17, there will be curses if they do not obey. Uh, God will no longer look with kindness upon the land his anger will be kindled the heavens will be shut up and things will be even worse for them than they were in egypt itself and so brothers and sisters think think of this in very many ways life can be very difficult now we do live in a land where there are thorns and thistles so to speak where we where we labor by the sweat of our brow and until the day that we return to the dust life can be very difficult but it really is nothing compared to the threat that, is, that comes for disobedience to God. The, the curse that is promised to all those who transgress his covenant. Remember what, what that threatening is like as the scriptures describe it. Remember what the Lord Jesus Christ himself says, that in that place there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is no joy whatsoever. There's no solace. There's no relief. There is only destruction. And not a dis- kind of destruction where there is a ceasing to exist, but a destruction in terms of a finality where the body and soul are in torment forever and ever. This is the, 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 the cursing that is always set before everyone through the preaching of the gospel, the blessing on the one hand, the curse on the other, the blessing for obedience and the curse for disobedience. And the purpose, the purpose of all the threats that come in the book of Deuteronomy and all throughout the scriptures, as God says, he's going to, you know, in some places cause the, the plagues that he put upon the Egyptians to come upon them. That he's going to shut up the heavens. That he's going to kill them with pestilence and sword. That he's going to even cause them to be uh, hungry to the point of even eating their own children. Uh, these kind of terrible threats, these, these are meant to give a picture of what the final judgment is like. Just like the land of Canaan is a picture of heaven and the, the blessings that are ours via the covenant, so too the curses for disobedience 
are also pictured by all the ways in which God threatens to destroy his people if they will not listen to him. And Moses has said very often, and he'll continue to say it over and over again, that if you do not obey the Lord your God, you will quickly be destroyed off of the land. There is there's not just a blessing for obedience, but there is also a threat. There is a curse for disobedience. And this is, in fact, the just penalty. It is the just penalty for everyone who will not recognize the glory, the majesty, the goodness, the holiness, the grace, and the justice of God. There's a blessing and there is a curse. And as Moses concludes this great section of Deuteronomy, this, this great sermonic application of what it looks like to love God, he says, I put before you today a blessing and a curse. And brothers and sisters, as I've said, this is even the very purpose of preaching. It is to set before you a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you belong to Christ and if you are found in him and in obedience to him. And a curse if you are found outside of him, if you do not belong to him in any way. Or if by your actions you deny the faith that you profess to have. Now, brothers and sisters, remember, Moses here, which this is basically one long sermon that he's been giving. Moses here, in this sermon, is addressing not unbelievers trying to convert them through some kind of evangelism. He is, he is speaking exclusively to covenant members. And he is setting before them as those who have even been redeemed. They've been brought out of the land of Egypt. They are the ones who they've even made it through the wilderness. And they stand on the edge of the Jordan. All of them are going to get to go in. All of them are going to receive these blessings. This is a, this is a people that have been blessed. They, they are a part of the visible church. And he speaks to them. And he sets before them the blessing and the curse. And brothers and sisters, this is what I am even doing for you this evening. All of you have been greatly blessed. You have in very many ways, we can say that you have been sanctified even by the blood of Christ. As members of the visible church, there's a sense in which you've been set apart for God. You are his people and you receive great blessings, at least outwardly. You have tasted of the great things of God, the great things of heaven. And yet, brothers and sisters, I put before you today a blessing and a curse. If you do not obey the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a curse coming. If you obey him, if you obey him and are found in him on the last day, then you will go in and be blessed and be with God forever in the land that he has given to you. There is a blessing for obedience and there is a curse for disobedience. Now, at this point, it's very important to make sure we have right what in fact is required in terms of obedience. If there's a blessing for obedience and a curse for disobedience, what is actually required? What kind of obedience is necessary? Now, remember, I've been saying uh, over and over again, Moses is not tired of making this point for, for lots of chapters. He's been making this one great point that you must be faithful to the Lord. You must be faithful to him. You must love him. You cannot turn away from him. This is the, the one commandment that he's given. He's not spoken of anything else. He's, he's not spoken of uh, the way in which you treat other people. He's not spoken of uh, murder and theft or adultery. He's not spoken of, of, of coveting. He's not spoken of anything else. He only has focused for six chapters on this one principle that you are to love the Lord your God. And this is even what, what we see. We see this uh, again. I, I pointed out in this section that that's um, often in this section of Deuteronomy, Moses will use the singular for command. 
He's not talking about you shall keep all of the various commandments. He does say that sometimes. But often he'll say, you shall keep the command, the one, the one that I'm giving you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Keep this one command. And notice this is even contrasted in this very passage with with, uh, disobedience, meaning following after other gods, that you deny the one true God. This is is the thing that Moses is speaking. So, for, for instance, in verse 28, Moses will say when he's talking about what disobedience looks like, just as obedience looks like loving God, in verse 28, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but the opposite of keeping the commandments of God is turn aside from the way which I command you today to go after other gods, which you have not known. The one thing that Moses has been speaking of over and over again is the great principle to love the Lord your God. Notice this is even given in verse 13 as well. It shall be it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. This is the thing that Moses has been tirelessly putting before the people. You are to love the Lord your God. And remember, this is remember the relationship between this commandment and the other Ten Commandments. Again, Moses is going to go into a lot of detail about a lot of other commandments and what we what you are to do. But all of them are rooted in this first obligation to love God. If there is no love for God, there is never any true obedience to any other commandment. It is absolutely impossible. It is breaking the commandment if you do anything else. If you obey, if you obey to the letter all the other laws, but you fail in loving God, you have not kept any of the commandment. This is this is the great foundation for everything that Moses has been saying. And really, even, even if we think about um, the kind of obedience, you know, we, we talk about, you know, perfect obedience not being necessary um, in, in the context of Deuteronomy. Remember, we've, we've just gotten through with uh, the book of Leviticus, where there are clearly provisions that are made for the forgiveness of sins, which shows that what Moses is saying here about obedience is it's not perfect obedience. But if you were to ask, okay, well, what kind of obedience what kind of obedience is really being required? If I can be forgiven for so many sins, if I, if, I, uh, if I confess my sins and I bring the right offering, I know I can be forgiven. What is then required and what would disobedience look like? The thing that is required, the thing that is required is that you would love God. Because if you don't love God, then the sacrifices mean nothing. And this is exactly the way the New Testament writers speak as well. If you turn away from God, then there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, as the book of Hebrews says. It, it, it is good for you insofar as you truly love God. This is not even to say that you perfectly love God, but it is to say this. On the last day, the great thing that will determine what happens to you, the judgment will be based on, is there evidence of true love for the Lord? Do you truly love the Lord your God? Everything else will be forgiven. If you truly love the Lord your God, then in the end, you will be blessed in the land which God swore to give to his, to, to our fathers. This is even exactly the way, again, I mentioned that the, that, uh, the New Testament speaks. You think of uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, where the writer to the Hebrews has just spoken of uh, the impossibility of renewing to uh, faith again those who have turned away in, in the particular way that he's described in chapter 6. Where there is a, the, which is a description of the, the one who's committed the, the, the sin unto death, the sin that leads unto death, the unforgivable sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And the writer then goes on after that to say, but we are convinced of better things for you, 
He doesn't think that the, the, the Hebrew Christians that he's writing to have committed the sin. And in fact, even more than that, he's very confident that, that they have in fact true faith and that in the end they'll be saved. But what does he say that gives him confidence that this is actually the case? It's, he says, God is not unjust in overlooking the love for his name, the love for his name that you have demonstrated in your service to the saints. Basically what the author of the Hebrews is saying, the one thing that you need is love for God and we believe that you have it. We believe that you have it because of the things that you do prove that you love God. And we believe that on the basis of the things you've done, that you've shown that you truly do love the Lord. And therefore, we really don't think that these that these things apply to you, that you cannot be renewed to faith. We, 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 we are confident in you because of the love you have for the name of God. Think of Matthew 25 as well. Again, that last passage of Matthew 25 is uh, the clearest it's been said before, and it, it, I think obviously is the case, is the clearest example, is the clearest description of what the final judgment will be like. As Christ details for us, even the questions that will be asked, the criteria that will be asked of people, and the, that will be used to evaluate people on the last day. And it's always service to Christ. It's love for Christ as it's been manifested in service to other Christians. But the service to other Christians, even that, is a fruit. It proves the one thing that's really required, which is that you love the Lord Jesus Christ. If you love God, if you love God, this is the one thing that's required. If you love God, then the blessings are yours. Now, how can you then love God? How can you love God? Uh, if if you're here and you, and you think, you know, I don't love God, um, I, I, I think if this were the criteria, then I would not make it. What, what, what can I do? The only thing that can be done is that you'd be converted. Ultimately, there is no love for God without faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and repentance. Uh, love for God is really even the first fruit of faith. When someone is converted, they immediately then have find a new love for God, which takes deep root in their souls. The, the point of putting before the people of God a blessing and a curse is to exhort them to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, to trust for Moses and the coming Messiah and the salvation that would be found in him, that you would forsake yourself, that you would repent of your sins, and that you would recognize because of these things, you would recognize the grace that God has shown for you and to you. And in so recognizing that, your heart would be filled with love to God. This is really the great thing that is necessary. Again, all other things will be forgiven. On the last day, on the last day, the thing that will be asked of you is, do you really love the Lord Jesus Christ? And even all the other things that you do, are they proof that you love the Lord Jesus Christ? That, that is, that is the, the, the great criteria that will separate on the last day the sheep from the goats. And it's why Moses ends this section on the love of God with blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. Now, one of the things that's very, very interesting about this passage as well is that right in the middle of this passage, there is a repetition of the instructions which Moses gave in chapter 6, verses 6 and 9, for instructions for people to remember the word of God, particularly in the context of the family, in the context of the family. And now these words are almost verbatim. There's small changes that have been made, but it's basically the same thing that Moses said in chapter 6, verses 6 to 9. 
You remember these words. Therefore, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And you are to do this that you may receive the blessings. Now, why is it that Moses repeats the same thing, basically, that he said uh, earlier in chapter 6? Well, what's the what's the purpose of this? Well, if you remember that he did it, and if you remember the the particular place that Moses put the original instructions, you'll see how uh, vastly important these instructions are, that they are in fact repeated here. By repeating them here, Moses essentially brackets this long section, these six chapters, on what it looks like to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. He gives the command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and the first thing he says as a point of application is, Remember these words and teach them to your children and talk about them always. Keep the word of God in your heart and teach them to your children. Then, after discussing that for six long chapters, the last thing he says before ending with the very last thing of putting before the people of God the blessings and the curses is a repeat of the same thing. Such that now the instructions to keep the word of God in your heart and your soul and to teach them to your children now bookends this long section of what it looks like to love the Lord your God. And the point then is very clearly that if there is going to be love for God, it must begin even with the word of God being memorized, being stored in your in your in your heart and being meditated on day and night and of teaching that to your children. Remember, in terms of if you remember back weeks ago, when we looked at this in the context of chapter six. Moses gives the, the great command that's going to be the foundation of everything that comes afterwards. The first thing that he does is to say that you must teach these things to your children. Uh, the, 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 the whole point being uh, that there will be no love for God without these very things. And this is really what's being emphasized again by putting it in the, the climactic place at the end of uh, this long exhortation. There will be no love for God if we are not a people who meditate on the word of God and who teach these things to our children. There must be, there must be brothers and sisters. There, there, there must be a seriousness about the study of the word. There will be no love for God without love also for his word. And so brothers and sisters, you must take the scriptures seriously. You cannot think, I'm a part of a church. I love God. I think I do things that, that are good and in alignment with my faith, but I care nothing for the word of God. That will ultimately not lead to us thriving as a church and you thriving in any way. It will not lead to uh, the faith being passed on to our children. You know, there's all kinds of great covenant blessings that are ours and promises that God has made. But in, in very many ways, the way in which God fulfills those blessings to our children, the promises, are through the faithful teaching of his people uh, to, to, to teach our children the things of God. And he honors that teaching. And even when we do it poorly, then, he honors it by granting faith to our children. Uh, we cannot expect the blessings of God for our children if we simply neglect the duty that God has given to us uh, to teach them. Very often, God overcomes our weakness, and he's gracious to us anyway. But ultimately, ultimately, what Moses is saying here is that if there is going to be a community of love for God, there must be a community that has love for the word of God. And so, brothers and sisters, I, I want to emphasize this for a little bit because many people have lamented uh, recently 
that within maybe the past generation or two, there's been a, a great decline in the knowledge of the Bible uh, in the Christian church, um, not just in the Reformed church, but just more, just broadly. There is there is a uh, a growing ignorance of the Scriptures. And brothers and sisters, whatever we can say about you know the problems we think we have with the church in this or that way, if you do not know the Scriptures and if you are not studying them, then there will always be a problem. There's always a problem. If we are not a people who study the scriptures, then we will grow cold towards God and the church will not thrive. It will not grow. God will not honor it. And ultimately, ultimately, there will even be people fall away rather than people coming to know the Lord. We must be a people who know the scriptures and who pursue God in the scriptures. Now, it's often the case, I think, that uh, there's a temptation to think that we know more about the scriptures than we do. Uh, brothers and sisters, it is it is vitally important that you are studying the scriptures as much as you possibly can, that you are doing it individually, that you're reading regularly through, uh, through the scriptures uh, in a way that is conducive to you learning them more, that you are memorizing the scriptures. And even as Moses points out here, and as he does in chapter 6 as well, that you do this in the context, in the context of your families, that that you model for your kids what it looks like to love reading the Bible, that you encourage them to read the Bible, you teach them how to do that, that you ask them what they're reading when appropriate, that topics related to the scriptures are a very normal thing that comes up uh, in within the home, that there is regular conversations about, uh, about the scriptures, about things that are being read, that there is even... Apart from that, more formal devo- family devotional times, times that are regularly set apart to teach your kids the scriptures, to teach them the catechism that they might learn, uh, the doctrines of the scriptures, and so be aided even in reading it even further. Uh, these are the things that are necessary. We must be a people of the word of God. Moses bookends his exhortation, his sixth chapter exhortation, to love the Lord your God, with an exhortation to learn the word of God and to teach it to your children. Uh, This is absolutely fundamental, and the point is there can be no true love for God without also the covenant commitment to learn his word, to meditate on it, and to love it. Remember, this is even the way the the psalmist opens up the Psalter, that it's not the one, uh, the, the man is not blessed who, you know, is in the company of sinners in various ways, but the man is blessed whose meditation is on the law of God and on the on the the, the teaching of God, not just the, the commandments there, on the teaching of God, on the Pentateuch, on the, the words which Moses gave. The blessing is for the man who meditates on this day and night, the one who is a person of the word of God. And so this is the way that Moses concludes this long section in Deuteronomy, the, by far the longest single section uh, in the book. And so, brothers and sisters, today, just as Moses ends this section exhorting the people of God in his day to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and strength by putting before them a blessing and a curse, so too now I set before you, as I do always, a blessing and a curse. This is, what, again, what preaching is. All the blessings are found in Christ, and all the curses are found outside of him. If you are found in him on the last day, then you will be blessed. And this not because you have uh, merited by your obedience some kind of, of blessing. There's nobody that can possibly merit being in the presence of God for all eternity. There's no person that can do that who's just a normal person. 
The reason you would have that ability, the reason why God can offer that as a blessing for obedience is because Christ has merited it for you. Christ has merited it by his perfect life. He, as the Son of God, can rightfully merit presence with God forever. And he has done that for all those who are in him. And not only that, brothers and sisters, not only has he merited that, but even even the ability to love God is something that Christ himself has won for his people. So in every sense, the way in which you grow in these things, the way in which you find yourself in the last day as being found in him is by putting all of your faith and confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. How is it that you can have these blessings because Christ has merited them for you? How is it that you can even obey, even in this most simple command to love God? It's because Christ is the one who works this in you by his spirit. And so even as you see yourself failing, you are only to cast yourself upon the Lord Jesus Christ more and more and to recognize that all of the blessings and promises of God are yes and amen in him. Now, brothers and sisters, do not be deceived. It is not, as I mentioned, it is not those who are a part of the visible church only who will be rewarded on that last day, who will have the blessings for obedience. It is, it is not a part of the criteria whether or not you have your membership with New Covenant OPC, whether or not the church you're a part of is Orthodox, or any of these things. The question is, do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you love him? And do, does the fruit of your life show these things? On the last day, when Christ, when you stand before Christ, will he say of you, depart from me, I never knew you? Or will he say, enter into the joy of your master? May it be by the grace of God that for all of us, he would say the latter, that we would receive even the obedience that is necessary, that God himself would work love for his son in our hearts. Let's pray. Father, Lord, it is a weighty thing to consider these things, the blessing and the curse, which is always put before your people and even through the preaching of the gospel is put before the entire world. Lord, we're thankful that we can so relate to you by covenant. For Lord, we know that if it were not for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, there would be only a curse and there would be no hope for obedience. Father, we do pray that you would work love in our hearts, that we would love you with all of our heart, soul, and strength all the days of our lives, that we would grow in this love and so bear fruit that is in keeping with repentance. Lord, that, that we might live lives that are godly before you, that are fully pleasing to you, that we might rejoice at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes in judgment to judge the world, that we would not shrink back from him at his coming, but that we would be able to greet him as those who have long awaited his appearing and who have shown that by the way in which we've lived our lives in, in anxious anticipation of his coming by seeking to hasten that day and to live lives in light of that day. Help us, O Lord, even so now to prepare for his coming and so to obtain the blessing. For Lord, we ask all these things in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this sermon helpful, please give us a five-star review as this will help make the Word of God preached more available to others. Also, if you'd like to find out more about our church, you can visit our website at newcovopcssf.com. 
That's N-E-W-C-O-V-O-P-C-S-S-F.com.